welcome to another exciting podcast from Living Faith Church. It's our hope and prayer that today's message will bring you closer and deeper to the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Dean Hackett. Being a Christian has many connotations around the world. People were first called Christian in the city of Antioch. It says in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. It's interesting. You may be a Christian in Pakistan being killed, being martyred because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You can be a Christian in New York City because you were baptized as an infant, but you haven't been to church since you were 10 years old. There are many who say it was Christians that led Jews into the ovens of Auschwitz. There are many who say it's you're a Christian because you went forward at a Billy Graham meeting. Now you're really religious. Or you're a Christian because you believe in Jesus and you go to church all the time. I mean there 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 are many connotations to the concept of being Christian. But look with me again, would you please, at the definition from Acts eleven twenty six. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Would you read that with me again one more time? The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Notice that you were a Christian because you were a disciple of Jesus Christ. So what, what does that mean exactly? Well, I think the, the concept is illustrated for us really clearly in an experience that took place in the life of the prophet Samuel. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 7. You remember last week we looked at the story of the time when, when Israel was really backslidden. And they were away from God even though they were very religious. And even though worship was going on at the tabernacle regularly, the priesthood was corrupt the leadership of the nation was weak and indecisive. And the enemies of Israel, the Philistines, took advantage of that as an opportunity to attack. And in that attack, the army of Israel was soundly defeated. And they even captured the Ark of the Covenant. 
and the Philistines celebrating their victory over the armies of Israel and believing they had also defeated the God of Israel, took the Ark of the Covenant back to their own nation and they put it in the temple of their God, Dagon, as a way of celebrating that they had defeated Israel and they had defeated the God of Israel. But God let them know really clearly, you may have defeated the armies of Israel, but you didn't defeat me. You remember the story that God, Dagon, fell on his face and his head broke off and the palms of his hands broke off. And, and, and at the same time, a curse came upon the people of the Philistines. And so they went, man, we can't handle this. So they, they put the Ark of the Covenant on a new cart that they'd built along with the sacrifice, gold sacrifice that they made to God. And they sent it back to Israel. And the Ark of the Covenant arrived back in Israel first at the community Beth Shemesh. Beth Shemesh. Okay, say that with me. Beth Shemesh. I knew you were waiting all morning long to say that. And what, so what's the story? What's the lesson that we get from this? Well, it's interesting because when the ark arrived at the town of Beth Shemesh, which means house of the sun, the people there were religious, but they didn't really grasp the concept of what was happening here. They didn't grasp the fact that the Ark of the Covenant was the very presence of the living God. And the fact that the Ark of the Covenant, its correct housing place was what was called the Holy of Holies. Where the presence and the glory of Almighty God dwelt. And it was separated from all the rest of the tabernacle by a very heavy and thick curtain. Because that was the place of God's dwelling. And it was to be revered and it was to be respected and honored as holy and sacred. But they they didn't get that. They, they just thought, oh, this is really cool. The Ark of the Covenant is here. And they just saw it as another religious symbol like many of the other religious symbols they had. And so they thought, no, I wonder what's in the box. And so uh, with a lack of reverence and respect, they went to the Ark. They opened up the lid, looked in, and judgment came. The reason was because they believed they were religious, but they really did not grasp the concept of reverence and holiness. And because they didn't grasp that, they didn't honor what the Ark of the Covenant really was all about. And as a result of that, they experienced God's judgment. Well, they went, man, we can't handle this. And so they sent the Ark of the Covenant on to the next community, which was Kiriath-Yerim, 
I know you were waiting for that one too. And at Kiriath Urim, that it was different because they had men there who really did reverence and honor Almighty God. And so when it arrived there, they appointed the correct priests and they honored and worshiped God. And God's presence and God's glory was on Kiriath Urim. Now, there's a very interesting point here that I I find fascinating. The scripture says that the ark remained at Kiriath-Urim and the sons of Abinadab led worship there for 20 years. Now, Now, think about this. So the tabernacle of Moses is at Shiloh. That's where the priests had been. But the priests were now dead. Eli was dead. His sons were dead. God had prophesied because of their immorality. And because of their weak spiritual leadership. That that all of the generations of Eli would be cut off. Because they didn't honor and reverence God. So there's no, there's no priesthood going on. You have Samuel. He's a prophet of God. But he's not a priest. And so you've got the tabernacle of Moses. With the brass altar. This place of sacrifice. The brass laver. The holy place with the golden altar of incense. The golden menorah. The golden tables for showbread. And you've got the curtain and an empty holy of holies because the Ark of the Covenant is at Kiriath Urim, which is 10 miles south and west of Jerusalem. Shiloh is about 10 miles north of Jerusalem. For 20 years, it's there. Now, what is also very curious is Saul has been serving as king for about 20 years before the ark is sent back. And so the last 20 years of his king, the ark is at Kiriath-Urim, but there's nothing written about him going there to worship. What it does talk about is that at some point, He sets up his own altar and starts leading worship because Saul is very narcissistic. Saul is all worried about his legacy and uh, and how his name is going to be remembered and how he looks before the people. He, He has no interest of authentically leading Israel back to Almighty God. And he has a very curious relationship with the prophet Samuel. Samuel anointed him to be king, but Samuel did not respect him as king. But then there comes a day when David, who has been anointed king five years before, he is set up as king and, and he goes, you know what we need to do? We need to get God's presence in the capital city. 
And so he goes to Kiriath Urim and he puts, he builds a new cart. He puts the Ark of the Covenant on the cart and he starts bringing the Ark of the Covenant to the city of David, to Jerusalem, the same way the Philistines had sent it to Beth Shemesh. But that's not the right way. That's not the reverent way. That's not the way God designed it. Little extra right here. You don't worship the way it looks good to the world. God designed worship. He is the living God. And in his holy word, he describes for us and lays out very clearly how we worship. And you do it God's way. Or it's not really worship that honors God. It may sound really good. The musicians may be great. You may love the music. It may give you goosebumps up and down your spine. But it's not worship that honors and reverences almighty God. And it may not be worship that comes from your heart. It's coming from your lips. But it's not worship that reverences and honors holy God. Unless you do it God's way. That's a real weak amen right there. I know I just slugged somebody in the mouth spiritually. But you know what? We got to, in this generation, we have forgotten. And here's the lesson. David starts with the ark and it's on a cart. It's not God's way. he, He means well, but he's not doing it God's way. He means well, but he's not doing it God's way. He's a believer. He wants to worship God. But you've got to do it God's way. And in the midst of this, God's judgment comes... A man is killed. And David goes, whoa, I'm trying to serve God. And what's going on here? So he leaves the ark at the house of a man named Obed-Edom. And he goes back to the city and he's going, man, this is discouraging him. I'm really wanting to serve God. I'm really, I mean, he's a believer. He's really wanting to serve God. He's a believer. He's really wanting to serve God. He's a believer. But it's not working. And he can't figure it out. So for three months, he's in the city and, and then he starts hearing these reports. Obed-Edom is blessed, man. Everything is blessed that he's doing. He is blessed and overflowing in blessing. And David goes, man, that's what I want. So then he finds out how to do it God's way. And he goes back and he gets the Ark of the Covenant And he gets the proper poles. He goes to Shiloh. He gets the right poles. He gets the right men. And they carry the Ark of the Covenant. God's way. 
into the city and they set it up God's way and David's worshiping. And there's a whole nother story about how David worships. That's a whole nother lesson we got to come back to someday. Because folks, when, when, when we do it God's way and we worship with all our heart, no matter what people think, I want to tell you God's glory comes. And David was blessed. Now, we got we got to get this figured out. What's the difference between being a believer and being a disciple? Well, a believer has mental assent. Yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in God. I, there's mental assent there. And there's even some level of experience. I believe in God. Yeah, I you know, I prayed that prayer. I went forward to Billy Graham and prayed that prayer. I went I went forward at Living Faith Church. I prayed that prayer. Yeah, I, I, I prayed with Pastor Dave. I, I believe in God. And there's some level of experience. There's even some level of faith. But here's the difference. It's compartmentalized. Being a believer, believing in God, believing in the Bible, is compartmentalized. It may or may not affect the other areas of your life. We're going to get back to that in a minute. That's a believer. A disciple, on the other hand, is someone who says, Jesus is my model. He's my mentor. Jesus is my model. And I want my life to be as much like Jesus as possible. In fact, the very word disciple comes from the Greek word mathetes. Now think real hard, mathetes. What English word do you think we might get from the Greek word mathetes? Quickly, everybody say, oh, I got it. it. Mathematics. You're right. Mathematics. You guys are so smart. Okay? Mathematics. Now... How come methetes and mathematics, how is that similar? Because it means to be methodical. It means to have exact order. How many know there's no way you're going to do adding long columns if you don't line them up right? How many like me, when you were in elementary school, middle school, sometimes even high school, you had a little trouble with getting the right answer because you didn't take the time to line it up real good? Come on, we've all been there, right? Long, long division. I mean, didn't you love long division? You got, you got to get, you got to. If, if you don't do it, you know. Now, people laugh at me because I still love doing math in my head and, and on paper. You know. In fact, sometimes I can do it faster than you can do it on your calculator. But it, you know, but people, you know, they got the calculator. Kids today, they don't know how to do all that. They do it all on their calculator. They even let them have their calculator in the test. I'm going, are you kidding me? (laughs) Anybody remember slide rules? Anybody remember slide rules? Two people in the room remember slide rules. I still have my slide rule from high school. I still got that. Yeah, it's in my office. Old slide rules. Nobody, I bet there's, I bet there's not five people in our church family that could even use a slide rule. You remember slide rule? It slide rule was the early, was the early calculator. Okay. 
Yeah. Nobody knows what that means. Okay, I'll stop chasing that rabbit. Mathetes, mathematics, being disciplined, being orderly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to order my life. I'm going to discipline my life so that my life looks like Jesus. Listen to how the Lord Jesus Christ himself said it in the, in the gospel of Mark chapter 8. I'm sorry. My, I, 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 I can't see it. <laughs> I apologize. Okay. Now I've got to scroll down to where I was. I bumped it and I, I got it all out of order. And when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in his glory of his Father with his holy angels. The whole idea of being a disciple is the fact I make the choice to die to myself and to live for Jesus Christ. And I will not be ashamed of him and I will not be ashamed of his words. Even though it's counterculture. Even though it's not politically correct. Even though everyone else is preaching a doctrine of tolerance. Even though everyone else is preaching a doctrine of inclusiveness. Well, we have to include everyone. Well, you know. Even though you're preaching a doctrine that, well, you know what? You're just being harsh. You're just being judgmental. You can't do that. And But wait a minute. Wait a minute. A disciple lives just like Jesus Christ. And may I remind you, Jesus himself said, there are not many ways to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said. Listen, no man cometh to the Father but by me. That's not inclusive. That is very exclusive. One way. One way. But not only that, a disciple recognizes their body now is the temple, the holy of holies. And as it were, the Ark of the Covenant now dwells in me because my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church and he said this, listen, he said, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? See, I'm the Holy Spirit, the glory of Almighty God now resides in me. And if the glory of God resides in me, he said this, therefore glorify God in your bodies and in your spirit. So I not only have to glorify God in my spirit, 
But as a disciple, not just a believer, but as a disciple, then I have to make sure I don't defile the house of God, the temple of God, my body. I've got to make sure I'm keeping my body holy and pure because it's the temple of Almighty God. I have to treat him with reverence and with holiness. See, that's what he's saying. And this is where we started this whole series, right? Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Add to your faith moral excellence. Wow. And now watch this. You might want to grab the side of your chair because this is going to rock your world. Hang on. Hang on real tight. Hang on real tight. You ready? Matthew 28, 19. The Lord Jesus Christ said... Go into all the world and make believers. No, he didn't. Go into all the world and make disciples. He wants us to move from believer to disciple. So you're a believer. You've had an experience with Jesus Christ. You believe in God. You've got some measure of faith. But now... God doesn't want to just be something added on in your life. He doesn't want to be another compartment. So on Sunday, you go worship God. You believe in God on Sunday. May I ask you? May I ask you? If they were to take you to trial for being a Christian like they do in Pakistan. Like they do in Iraq. Like they do in Iran. Like they do in Bangladesh. Like they do in Sudan. If they were to take you to court and try you for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to find you guilty of being a disciple of Jesus Christ? Would they be able to call in your co-workers and your co-workers would say, oh yeah, he's definitely a Christian man. Well, how do you know? Oh, you can't believe it. He didn't talk like the rest of us. And when, when we go drinking on Friday night, he, he doesn't join us because he's faithful to his wife. He's a man of faith. You can't believe the stories he has of how God's answered his prayers. Come on. Come on. Being a disciple. You're moving from being a believer to being a disciple. And that's what Jesus wants. Okay, now we've got it defined. Now, you've got to hear the rest of the story in 1 Samuel 7. So after the, after the, the ark gets to Kiriath-Urim, and it's been there just a short time, they get word the Philistines are coming back again and they're going to attack. And now the people are all nervous. They're all, they're all nervous. And so they run to the prophet Samuel. And they go, Samuel, they're going to attack again. What are we going to do? Samuel says, oh, if you return to the Lord with all your heart, God will defend you. I, I like the way the modern English version says it. I have it appear on the screen. Would you read it with me? It says by MIV, everyone together. If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart. 
If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, are you just going to be a believer over here and you're going to be religious and you've got many things in your life and oh yeah, and, 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 and I believe in Jesus too? Or are you going to be a disciple over here and you're serving the Lord with all your heart? Can you see the difference? If you can see the difference, say amen. Amen. See, are you a believer? Which, well, isn't it okay to be a believer? Well, I guess the question I'd like to ask you with that is, do you really want to take that risk? Because you're going to see in just a moment that's being very risky with your life. Because what that is saying is, well, you know what? I, I got this term, life insurance against fire. And I'm hoping the term insurance will last all the way through to the time that I have to go face the fire. As opposed to saying, you know what? I know. I know. I got it. I got it. And if Jesus were to come get me right now, I know where I'm going. See the difference? It's the difference. Now, if you're a young believer and you go, man, I'm trying. Cool. This message is going to help you today. So listen to, listen to Samuel's answer. If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, the first thing he says is, get rid of the foreign gods. Get rid of the foreign gods. Put away. Banish. Remove. Completely eradicate them from your life. The foreign gods. And I know immediately someone's going to go, I don't have any foreign gods. Well, let's look and see. You see, in, in, in our culture right now, there are many even inside the Christian church who kind of go, well, you know, we, well, we do have to be kind of inclusive. I mean, you know. And, and our, our culture completely wants to say that if you're a Christian, if you're a Muslim, if you're Hindu, if you're a Buddhist, if you're Shintao, if you worship any of the spirits of the Native Americans, you know, at, well, we're all worshiping God. And we're all worshiping God. We're all worshiping God. Well, we're all worshiping a God. But are you worshiping the God? See, there's only one living God. There's only one Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. There, there may be many gods, but only one God has eyes that see. There's only one God that has ears that hear. There's only one God that has a mouth that has spoken. And he spoke everything that exists into existence. 
And he spoke his word. And the word was written down. First by Moses. The first five books of the Bible. The Pentateuch. And then the prophets. And the law was written. And then he spoke to the apostle Paul. And to Matthew. And Mark. And Luke. And the apostle John. And they wrote the New Testament. I want you to understand. There's only one living God. Who has a hand that is mighty to save. And he delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he brought them across the Red Sea on dry ground. And he reached out his hand and has redeemed us. Only one living God. Many gods but only one living God. And it offends him. When we make him equal with all the other gods. Or rather make them equal to him. And then there are those today who go, well, after all, you know, uh, Mormons are Christians. And the other cults, they're included today as Christians. No, they're not. They're a cult. And they don't worship the same Jesus Christ we worship. They define him differently. Well, in what way? Well, I want to ask you, do you think we're worshiping the same God if you say that Jesus Christ and Lucifer are brothers? I don't think so. So you're saying Jesus Christ is a created being like Lucifer is a created being. Lucifer was an archangel, created being with Almighty God who rebelled and led a rebellion against Almighty God because he wanted to be worshipped as God. He said, I will set upon the throne and be worshipped as God. That is Lucifer who led the rebellion, who is the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of the darkness of this world. The Lord Jesus Christ is not a created being. He existed. He's without father. Without mother, has no beginning or ending of days. He has always existed, and He is the creator of heaven and earth, and He is the light, and in Him is no darkness at all. It offends God when we want to take these other gods and make them equal to Him. We have to have in our heart the willingness to say exclusively, he alone is God. And when the scripture says he is a jealous God, it's not a jealousy like we're jealous. See, we get jealous because we feel insecure and we feel inferior and we're angry and mad because somebody's making us feel insecure or, or you see what I'm saying? Almighty God is a jealous God because he truly is the only God, creator of heaven and earth. And when we worship a God other than him, we are destroying our life and the fact that we're made in his image. It's a completely different kind of jealousy. And that's why the first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And we, gotta, we, we have to be willing to embrace that and accept that that is absolute truth. And I will not compromise that. But here's the other thing when it talks about putting away the foreign gods. And God includes this both Old and New Testament. And that is we got to be willing to stop praying, playing around with witchcraft and sorcery. 
And you go, well, I don't play around with witchcraft and sorcery. Well, if I were to ask you, how many zombie movies? How many vampire movies? How many of the books and movies do you read about witchcraft and sorcery? Off the top of my head right now, I'm not remembering the name of the kid that, that practiced witchcraft and sorcery. Uh, uh, Harry, Potter. Harry Potter. How much of that have you allowed in your life? See, it's all about that. In, in, in one of my books I, I wrote, I, in the introduction, I made several quotes, both from the authoress as well as from young people that, that have become that, that have become really committed to Harry Potter. And they talk about how that they have they no longer believe in Jesus Christ. They serve him alone. Because they found that Jesus is just stupid and weak. But witchcraft and sorcery is the real power. See, when, when we when we play with this stuff, when we entertain ourselves with the stuff that offends God. That really offends God. And this is where we have to come to grips. We have to recognize this stuff offends God and it grieves the Holy Spirit. And if it offends God and it grieves the Holy Spirit, then I need to turn from it. I need to get that out of my life. Because that's playing with the powers of darkness. So the first thing is get rid of the foreign gods. Here's the second thing that, that Samuel said to them. He said, if you prepare your heart for the Lord. Prepare your heart for the Lord. And this is an interesting Greek word, or Hebrew word rather, Old Testament Hebrew. Interesting Hebrew word because it, it has two kind of meanings to it. One is it means to set up and to establish. Like, like, like setting up a throne. A, a king would set up his throne. Okay, so it means to set up, to erect, to establish. But the second, it means to make firm. So we have to ask ourselves a question. Have we, have we set our heart so that the throne of God is established in our heart? Do, do we really mean it when we pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in my life. Lord, I want, I, want your, I, I want you to be the sovereign Lord of my life. Sovereign means that he has the final authority, no redress, no argument. You, you, are, you are the authority. And you don't have to ask me to get permission. Your, your authority in my life, God. I, I want you to set up your throne in my life. I want you to be Lord. I sing that you're Lord. I want you to be Lord. I don't want to just sing it with my lips and with my mind. I don't want to give just mental assent to it. I want my heart to be in alignment with you that you are Lord in my life. We're going from believer to disciple. 
You be Lord. But here's the other thing. And I, I, I want my life to be firmly established. I want my heart to be firmly established. Now this is where we get to the book of James. You ready? He says, but let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like the wave of the sea driven by the wind and tossed. anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now we're back to what I was talking about earlier when I was talking about, about as a believer, many times we compartmentalize things. We, we've received Jesus into our life. And so Jesus, and I, and I believe the Bible, in Jesus on Sunday, of my life on Sunday. But when it comes to my politics and my social agenda in my life, I'm not going to let, you know, well, that's just, that's too narrow over there. We got to be more open. And so what I believe about the LGBTQ, what I believe about abortion what I believe about, about violence and crime, what I believe about, about legalizing marijuana, what I believe about alcohol, what I believe about hooking up on the weekends, what I believe about, about my entertainment, what I believe and how I use my tongue. And, and is, is that, wait a minute. Are you letting the word of God and the Holy Bible affect what you believe about politics, what you believe about social order, what you believe about what is morally right, what is morally wrong, what you believe about how you should talk, about how you should think, about how you should feel? Do you let, do you let the Lord Jesus Christ and the word of God into every area and fiber of your life and your being? Or are you double-minded? I was talking with a guy the other day. He said, so I got a question for you. Yeah? So since we've legalized marijuana here and in Washington... What do they do about drug testing on the job? I mean, you got, you got some guy out here running a, a big piece of equipment and he's smoking pot on his break. Really? How's that work? People go, wait a minute now, you're being judgmental. No, 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 wait a minute. See, when we're, when we're talking about our life as a Christian, as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, remember, you can't separate those two things. In scripture, being a Christian is being a disciple. And we've got to get back to that. We have so compromised that, that anything can be a Christian today. Well, I'm a Christian because I, 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 go, I go to AA. Really? 
Have you ever received Jesus Christ's Lord? Say, well, no, but I believe in a higher power. What does that mean? What does that mean? Let me tell you what scripture means. Scripture says, if you're a Christian, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ is permeating every area of your life. Listen, and this is the last thing Samuel said. You serve him only. Romans 6, 16, really quiet in here this morning. I know this is not one of those sermons you want to go shouting and running and yelling and going, oh, yay, oh, really good. I've been messing up. I'm so excited. (laughs) There's a scripture that's so interesting in Romans 6, 16. Romans chapter 6 starts off with this question. What shall I say then? Shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? And basically what he's saying is, I've been born again, I have grace in my life, so shall I just continue on sinning? I mean, after all, I got grace in my life, right? So it's okay, because I got grace in my life. So he goes, no way. No way. And then he goes, I says, don't you know? You were crucified with Christ. You were buried with Christ. You've been risen to new life in Christ. Walk in newness of life. And then he talks about how that as you're walking in newness of life, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. And then in verse 16, he says this. Don't you understand? Whoever you yield yourself to, to obey, you're his servant. So if you're yielding yourself to sin... Your servant to sin. But if you yield yourself to righteousness and holiness, you're a servant of Almighty God. Be a servant to Almighty God. I serve Him only. I don't want I don't want my life to be serving anyone else. Now here's Here's what God also understands. As a, as a new believer, as a young believer, you start off as, as a young Christian, a baby Christian, and you grow there. And he will grow you there. This is what we're going to learn in a few weeks when we talk about learning the incredible secret blessing of trials and testings and heartache that God has for you because he will use those things to grow you And show you those areas that are not yet yielded to him. And God wants to bring you to that place of yielding to him. So that you're serving him only. And he will grow you there. He will grow you there. You can be a baby disciple. Because you've made the decision. I'm going to serve Jesus only. I'm getting rid of all the foreign gods out of my life. And and I've set my heart. To be firmly after God. And I'm growing there. But I've set my heart to be firm. I'm growing there. I've set my heart to be firmly after God. I'm still learning how to get there. But I've set my heart to be. Are you tracking with me? That's a disciple. That's a disciple. You haven't got it down perfect yet. But you're a disciple. In fact can I tell you a little secret? If you get it perfect. 
don't come worship here at LSC because we'll mess you up. Because we're not perfect yet. But I can tell you when we're going to be perfect. We're going to be perfect. When Jesus sounds, has the trumpet sounded and, and a shout and in a twinkling of an eye, we're out of here. Between leaving here and getting there, we become perfect. Hallelujah. Come on. Amen. In the meantime, I'm a disciple. Learning how to live this out. Amen. And this was what he said. Samuel said, and if you do these three things, he will deliver you from your enemy. We are so blessed that you join us online today. For more resources on how you can grow your relationship with Jesus Christ, visit us online at www.winacity.com. If you would like to speak with someone about your relationship with Jesus Christ or would like prayer, you can contact us at 541-567-4486 or email us at info at winacity.com.